A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Part-Time Genius, a production of iHeartRadio. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So I know these days it feels like we can't start any conversation without talking about the quarantine and without coronavirus, unfortunately. But one of the things I've noticed right now in terms of how people cope with the quarantine, I find this interesting is that they watch a bunch of virus-based content. Like, like this is this is a real thing. Like, tons of people have been watching that new pandemic documentary series on Netflix, and Contagion is one of the most watched streaming titles right now. Have you noticed this? Yeah, I mean, it is such a strange phenomenon to me because that is not my idea of escapism. I turn to things like the Muppets movie in times like this. But <laughs> And I, I know you're not lying about that. That's actually true. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess the virus stuff does make sense if you're looking for a way to remind yourself that it could be worse. Yeah. And and I guess I get that feeling like it's good to keep our discomfort in perspective. But if you're like me, viral disaster movies probably hit a little too close to home. But thankfully, I have come up with a far less upsetting option, and that's to just watch a giant monster movie instead. Like <laughs> throw one of those on and you'll be thinking, sure, things are tough right now, but at least there's no Godzilla, you know? So does that does that really give you any peace of mind? Oh, it totally does. I mean, it's probably the last genuine source of comfort that we have left, Mango. I mean, I, I think you'll agree. A Godzilla attack definitely would not improve our situation. <laughs> and that's not just because of the smashed up buildings and rolling blackouts either. Like there would be way worse things to consider if Godzilla came to town. Well, I mean, smashed up buildings sound pretty awful and, and so do blackouts. But what, what else are you thinking about? All right, well, think about it this way. At the end of the day, Godzilla is a giant animal, right? Like he Uh started out at around 160 feet tall during his first appearance. This was back in 1954. And over the years, he's been scaled up in order to keep pace with the increasing size of skyscrapers. 
So nowadays, the modern Godzilla is three times as tall as the original, almost 500 feet. So not to be gross, but can you imagine how much waste an animal that large would produce? Can you imagine oh. this, Mango? Stop <laughs> and think about it just for a second. So forget uh -huh. being crushed. Like, the cities would be flooded. And, and get this, I looked this up. There's actually some science behind this. So according to a marine researcher named Dr. Craig McLean, an animal of Godzilla's height and weight would produce a truly monstrous amount of urine, nearly 13 million gallons per day. That's like oh. a quarter of an oil tanker raining down for every day of Godzilla's rampage. So this, this is what I now have to think about, Mango, in my quarantine. That is so gross. And you're right, things would be way worse with Godzilla around. It is true. I'm glad you finally understand this. So it really puts things in perspective. And that's just the first of nine Godzilla facts we've got on tap today. So let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikater. And on the other side of our Zoom conference, wiping his mouth and punching at the air for some reason, that's our good friend and producer, Lowell. So I I'm not sure what all the wiping and punching is about, but luckily, Gabe Luzier is back with us today. He's our resident kaiju or strange creature fan. So hopefully he can shed some light on this. And what is Lowell doing over there? Does it have anything to do with Godzilla? Uh, yeah, so that's actually a deep cut Godzilla reference. So nicely done, Lowell. Uh, there was a, a point in Godzilla's career, I, I think he was about 11 movies deep at the time. It's kind of hard to keep track. And anyway, uh, at some point, the powers that be decided that Godzilla should have his own signature move. And I guess the idea was that, you know, he would taunt his opponents by making this like insulting, menacing gesture and for whatever reason, wiping his mouth with his right hand and then jabbing at the air, that's what they came up with. It's great for video games, I feel like. But, but why <laughs> do that? Like, is there some cultural significance for it? Not that I know of. Like, my guess is the actor in the suit was just like pretty limited mobility wise. So <laughs> uh, like a mouth wipe and a, and a punch was the best he could muster. Sure. Uh, either way, I mean, the, the move, they only like stuck with this for a couple movies and then they phased it out. So, I mean, it did leave an impression, though, obviously, at least on Lowell. And uh, there are some fans out there. They refer to the movies where Godzilla does this as the uh, wipe your mouth and punch the air trilogy. <laughs> you know, it's fun as we do these things, learning things about each of us that I never knew you and Lowell were such big Godzilla fans. That's, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is kind of a new thing for me. Like, I had seen a few of the old ones, uh, you know, when I was a kid, and I thought they were cheesy and, you know, a good time or whatever. But I hadn't watched one in a really long time. And and then last year, uh, I guess it was actually Godzilla's the 65th anniversary of Godzilla. So he's, he's technically a senior citizen now. And uh, <laughs> a bunch of movies were coming back to uh, little independent theaters around here. So, uh, Aaron and I got a chance to watch a few on the big screen and we just kind of fell in love with how silly and over the top they were. I mean, it's weird to say, but Godzilla is an oddly endearing character. If you really watch what? some of his movies, like, I oh, mean, no, he, he wipes his mouth, he punches the air, he wrecks stuff, he dances. Like, what more do you want? You know, but I, I'm curious. Maybe that's just me. What, what about you guys? Any fond memories of the, the King of the Monsters? 
It's funny, I, whenever like monster movies would come on on like Saturday mornings, that was our cue to go outside. Like, like so that's what I think of them. Like, mm-hmm. Will, I, I, I don't know if you remember this, but we went to Toy Fair like years and years ago and the company that we were doing a board game with was also doing King Kong and this was like in oh, the yeah. 2000s. And so a big deal. they uh, had the King Kong board game behind this like curtain and there were like guards there because they didn't want to show anyone what the monster looked like. And I thought, you know, I'm a part of this company. I can like go back and sneak <laughs> in and they would not let me in. And ah. I remember... I wasn't even that insulted. I just remember thinking it was like so stupid because how different can King Kong look? Like you, <laughs> in the end, you basically know what he looks like. <laughs> well, I don't know, Mango. I think maybe in the end they knew like what a blabbermouth you were and they uh-huh. just needed to keep you out of there. The rest of them, they they would sort of whisper to us like, do you want to come see it? But then when you showed up, they were like, guys, guys, we, we can't come back here. <laughs> so... As I mentioned, I do not love monster movies, but I do have a fondness for facts about monster movies. So this is my first one, and it's about the guy who helped bring Godzilla to life in the early movies. So obviously today's Godzilla is computer generated, but that wasn't always the case. And while multiple actors have donned the scaly suit over the years, uh, the first to do so was this Japanese actor named Haruo Nakajima. And he starred in the original 1954 movie, and then he reprised the role for, I think, like 11 sequels. But when Nakajima first landed the role, he didn't know what the character would look like. All he knew was there would be some kind of ancient sea creature that would be awakened by this underwater test of the hydrogen bond. So, you know, with nothing else to go on, he actually prepared by spending 10 days at the zoo. So he watched elephants, he watched gorillas, but strangely, it was the bears that really captivated him. And this is what he told a reporter at the time. Quote, I used to take two lunches with me. One was mine and the rest I'd throw to the bears. When one of them snatched it up and shoveled it into his mouth, I'd watch the way he did it. But no amount of research could have prepared Nakajima for the reality of being stuffed inside a lizard suit. Like, the original costume was notoriously difficult to move, kind of like what Gabe said, because it was made from ready-mixed concrete. And reportedly, it weighed about 220 pounds at the time. Why would they use concrete instead of something like rubber? So the later suits were rubber, but it was hard to come by in the early post-war years in Japan. So they went concrete for the first one, and that made the suit super, super heavy, but it also made it suffocatingly hot. In fact, Nakajima said he sweated so much in the suit that after a day of filming, he would wring out the perspiration from his undershirt and it would actually fill half a bucket. Can't believe he did that. He kept that up for 12 movies. Like that is some serious dedication. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he was a trooper and and he's actually kind of a pioneer when you think about it. What he did generated this whole new type of acting. All these actors would wear giant monster costumes and wreak havoc on model cities. You think like there are hundreds of movies and TV shows all made using that process. And Nakajima was actually at the forefront of all of that. All right. Well, here's a a bit of film history that I like. You mentioned that uh, Nakajima wasn't sure what kind of creature Godzilla was going to be initially, but he wasn't the only one. The producers of the film also weren't sure what look they wanted for their ancient sea creature. And originally he was just going to be a giant mutant octopus, which you know would have put Nakajima out of a job since Mm -hmm. they could have just set a real octopus loose on their uh, miniature cities. <laughs> uh, but then the creative team decided to take an even weirder approach. Uh, and it was the second approach that actually gave us the character's Japanese name. And, you know, remember Godzilla, that's just something the marketers came up with for the uh, American release. Right. In Japan, he's actually known as Gojira. 
And that's because at one point during development, the plan was for the monster to be a cross between a gorilla and a whale. And even though that idea, (laughs) it sounds weird, right? But I mean, even though that idea was eventually scrapped in favor of a more dinosaur-like design, they did keep the original name, which is actually a portmanteau of the Japanese words for gorilla and whale. I've always wondered what kind of creature Godzilla is supposed to be. I mean, he's obviously some kind of reptile or maybe amphibian, I guess, and and not a gorilla whale, that's for sure. But what kind of reptile is he? Like, is he an unknown species of dinosaur that secretly survived underwater? Or is he just a regular lizard that got, you know, irradiated and grew into a giant or something else? Like, these are, again, in addition to the things I was thinking about before with, like, Godzilla waste, I, I have to think about this. Did you figure it out? Well, it turns out it kind of depends on who you ask, which maybe isn't a huge surprise. So the crew definitely looked at dinosaur illustrations for inspiration when designing the costume. But according to a scientist character in the original movie, Godzilla is kind of this transitional creature. So the quote was somewhere between the marine reptiles and the evolving terrestrial animal. So technically not a dinosaur, but a close descendant of them. However, the waters get a little bit muddier when, you know, you go a little bit deeper on this. So, for instance, Godzilla's creator, a producer named Tamayuki Tanaka, has gone on record saying that his original intention for Godzilla to be a, quote, dinosaur sleeping in the southern hemisphere that had been awakened and transformed into a giant by the atomic bomb. So I bet you didn't see that one coming. And that off-screen take on the origin was actually made explicit during the 1990s run of Godzilla movies. So in one of these, characters travel back in time. They go back to 1944, and there they encounter this dinosaur living alone on an island. Now, it was the same dinosaur that eventually mutates into Godzilla after being hit with an H-bomb. But did you actually figure out what kind of dinosaur it's supposed to be? No, I have no idea. I guess I just got tired of looking that much more. So the dinosaur in the movie was completely fictional and it kind of looked like this, more like a dumpy Tyrannosaurus, I guess, but it was referred to in the movie as a Godzillasaurus. Sure. I mean, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah, it's super creative. But all right, but here's the thing. Five years later, this was in 1997, a paleontologist named Ken Carpenter discovered a new genus of bipedal dinosaur and he lovingly dubbed it Gojirasaurus. So weirdly, Godzilla both is and isn't a real dinosaur. Oh, that's that's actually pretty great. Plus, it makes so much sense that like a paleontologist would be a Godzilla fanatic, right? Like, totally. That, that makes a lot of sense. Here's one I definitely didn't know before this week. Did you know that Godzilla is the longest running movie franchise of all time? This year marks the 66th anniversary of his first appearance and the release of his 36th theatrical film. That puts Godzilla eight years and 11 movies ahead of his closest competition, which is the James Bond series. What's really interesting, though, is how the series has managed to stay relevant for that long. If you look at the different periods of Godzilla movies, the tone of the series and even the character's role in it are always changing to kind of better align with the mood and and what the audience of the times wanted. The first movie isn't actually some like goofy, campy monster movie. It has action and it does have cheesy effects, but it's actually this somber and really bleak movie. And it treats the disaster super seriously. And that isn't by accident. Like the director described Godzilla as the embodiment of the, quote, invisible fear 
that a nuclear bomb could be dropped at any moment. And that really resonated with audiences at the time. And, and many Japanese moviegoers left the theater in tears after seeing the movie. It, it wasn't until the 1960s when Japan's post-war economy was rebounding that Godzilla started to loosen up a little. And, and for a while, he was portrayed as kind of a cranky public menace, like this bully who had to be chased off by the army or by what, one of the more good-natured monsters like Mothra. And then he gradually became a more heroic figure who would fight off other giant monsters on behalf of Tokyo, even if he still did trash most of the city in the process. You know, for the record, I, I feel like that counts as a fact and a half there because there was, there was really <laughs> a lot in there. But it is wild how much mileage they've gotten out of that concept. That many movies, it's incredible. Yeah, it, it kind of makes me wish they would mix things up even more. Like Mango mentioned James Bond, like, let's throw him in there. Godzilla versus 007. <laughs> totally. like, I, I mean, I, I feel like that fight would be over very, very quickly. But uh, uh, we've got four facts left to go. So let's take a quick break and then we'll get back to it. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. 
This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. Now, we're talking about Godzilla, who is the atomic, fire-breathing lizard with a heart of gold. All right, Gabe, you're up again. <laughs> you, you like that? Yeah. I wrote that down. I was just ready to ready to come with it. All right, Gabe, so uh, what, what's your next fact? Mango clued us in on just how long the Godzilla series has been around. So now I want to talk about how ahead of its time it's been. So uh, take the Marvel movies, for instance. Uh, they kicked off this big universe-building trend in Hollywood where you know the goal is to crank out as many interconnected movies as possible. And the way that plays out for superhero movies is you do a bunch of standalone movies, a, a Thor movie, an Iron Man movie, etc. And then you bring all those characters together for a big team-up movie like The Avengers. It's an incredibly lucrative formula and one that some studios are falling over themselves to emulate. But here's the thing. They may think they're copying from Marvel, but they're really cribbing from Godzilla. And that's because way back in the early 1960s, the Toho studio was working off the same two-stage strategy. Alongside Godzilla movies, they were also creating other standalone kaiju movies like Rodan, who was basically a giant pterodactyl that lived in a volcano, and Mothra, who was kind of the benevolent protector of this secret island in the Pacific. So I, I know Mothra and Rodan uh, eventually fought against Godzilla, but you're saying they did an Avengers-style team-up movie too? Yeah, exactly. Like After debuting in their own movies, the trio begrudgingly joined forces in 1964. <laughs> and of course, that was to protect the Earth from the threat of King Ghidorah, who I guess you could call like the Thanos of the Godzilla universe. I don't know. He, he's mm -hmm. like a flying gold three-headed dragon from outer space. So there aren't a ton of parallels, but <laughs> he's definitely Godzilla's arch nemesis. That's the point. And uh, the monsters, you know, they've had to team up a few times over the years to fight him off. That is a good fact. I feel like you guys really stepped it up with the facts today. I'm going to have to come up with some good ones. But all right. Well, I, I feel like I, I had a couple here in mind, but I, I'm going to take us behind the scenes again for my third fact, because I want to talk about Godzilla's iconic roar and more specifically how the sound of that roar was made. And if you've never heard the roar, I'm talking about we're going we're gonna to play a few of them here for you now. Lowell, stop, stop putting your fist up in the air and play them here. It's a strange sound, right? But where did it come from? So in the 1954 original, the sound effects team tried to create Godzilla's roar using animal sounds. But none of them seemed to be like the right match. They were all too familiar and not otherworldly enough for the monster that people were seeing on the screen. So then the film's composer, Akira Ifukube, had this great idea. Why not use a musical instrument to make the roar instead? So this is what he did. He donned a pair of leather gloves, 
coated them in pine tar resin, and then he dragged the sticky gloves up and down the <laughs> E-string of a broken down double bass. Isn't this so weird when they and come up with gross. these ideas to do stuff like this? It's like, you know what I think I'm going to do with these gloves? But anyway, the sound he got from that became the sound of Godzilla, and it's been the basis of his roar ever since. That is incredible. So we've talked about how prolific Godzilla has been at the multiplex, but he's also had his share of off-screen successes. For example, he's one of a handful of fictional characters to have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And in 1996, Godzilla became the first radioactive lizard monster to win the MTV Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> That's awesome. It was actually presented to him by Sir Patrick Stewart, who offered this touching tribute saying, quote, we've all heard about his temper and about the people he stepped on on his way to the top. But in this world of stars and superstars, it would be no exaggeration to say that he is the biggest, which is, <laughs> I think, very sweet. And yeah. uh, he is so big, in fact, that his fame is even extended to TV roles, which have been equally strange. Um, for instance, there was a time in 1985 where Godzilla appeared in a string of commercials for Dr. Pepper, of all things. In the ads, he's just doing his thing, wrecking buildings, stomping on cars. And then he comes across a giant can of Dr. Pepper just sitting where a water tower should be. And uh, he takes a big sip and the ad ends with him burping all satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> Am I alone in thinking like that ad was beneath the dignity of Godzilla? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you probably are, Gabe. Uh, all right, fair enough. Well, if you think that sounds bad, definitely don't watch the 1992 Nike commercial where Godzilla faces off with Charles Barkley. It, it, it <laughs> ends with Barkley dunking on Godzilla and then consoling him by offering him a spot on the Lakers team, which you oh. know the Lakers were having a very rough season that year. Yeah, that's rough. All right, well, to close this out, I thought I'd cover what we all really want to know, which is how the military would actually tackle the threat of Godzilla in real life. This is important stuff, right? So to figure this out, a few years ago, Air and Space Magazine reached out to a U.S. Air Force base in Okinawa, Japan. This is real. And the response they got from the personnel there was a little surprising. They basically said, yeah, we could take him. No problem. When they were pressed about, you know, how many aircraft they would need to mount a cohesive defense, the master sergeant just said seven, which <laughs> seems optimistic at best. I love how you take that as such a serious answer. I mean, do you think maybe he wasn't taking the question very seriously, you know, with Godzilla not being real and all? Yeah, uh, that did occur to me. Uh, to be fair, though, the sergeant did acknowledge that Godzilla would likely be expecting an aerial mm -hmm. attack which shows that he was at least putting some thought into what kind of strategy, you know, might work in this situation. Right. But again, the answer he came up with was to catch Godzilla off guard using, quote, 4,000 segues and slingshots. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he might not have been taking it too seriously. I mean, you, you do hate to see that kind of hubris, you know? I feel like he really should have taken that more seriously, but anyway. Well, yeah, but on the bright side, it looks like Japan, at least, is taking the threat seriously. Back in 2007, the country's defense minister told reporters that even though Japan has a pacifist constitution, the military wouldn't have to wait for Godzilla to attack first. According to him, quote, if Godzilla attacked... That would be a natural disaster relief operation, making military action legally permissible. 
Yeah, so so I'm I'm glad they have that all worked out just in case. It seems like they've really thought it through, and and uh, I I feel like you really soothed some nerves with that last fact. Plus, you explained what the heck Lowell was doing at the top of the show. So I feel like you should take today's trophy. I feel like we even stomped it flat for you there, Gabe. So j- just like Godzilla would, it feels appropriate. <laughs> All right. Well, it might be because I haven't left the house in four days, but uh, that means a lot, guys. So thank you. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's part-time genius for myself, Mango, Gabe, and Lowell. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Wash your hands. We'll be back soon with another episode. Part-Time Genius is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.